Welcome to Island Ghost Radio. I'm Mike Taylor. I'm Diane Constell. There's someone missing. Erica, where's Erica? Erica. Don't hear Erica. Erica, where are you? <coughs> oh, there she is. <coughs> Erica, say your name. Uh, it's just a recording. Erica is sick, so she could not join us tonight. Yeah, she's a bit under the weather today. Erica has SIDS. No, she doesn't. <laughs> So late for that. No, no. It's SID stands for a sick in December. Okay. SID. I guess that makes I, sense I, in I some have, bizarre way. I can have fun with acronyms. You can have fun with pretty much anything, apparently. Uh, <laughs> yes, I know. But we wish Erica the best, and we hope she uh, gets better soon. We're all a little under the weather. You're just getting over a cold. I know, and I think I gave it to you again. Yeah. It's like it just keeps making the rounds. Ugh. Because it's 60 degrees one day and then 27 the next here in New York. Well, you have to stop running around like ice cold, freezing wet in the in the snow. What? <laughs> That's what makes you sick. It's running I, around I naked. I don't run around naked in the snow. Well, how do I know? Uh, if those rumors are getting out, that's not good. <laughs> All right. Our guest tonight is Natalie Osborne Thompson. Thomason. Thomason. Mm-hmm. Sorry. And she is the author of The Ghost Hunting Files, Ordinary People's Encounters with the Supernatural. That's right. She's in England, and she's documented a lot of stories. Yes, and she will be coming up soon. But first, first. we want to play some voicemails that we received. We'll start off with this one. Hey, guys, it's the ghost of Rodney Dangerfield calling in again. Yes. I'm calling in to comment on that Donna LaCroix thing that I saw on the Internet. You know, I was thinking about it, and I did go to an investigation they had one time. Me and the ghost of Elvis Presley. And we were walking around, and I said, you know, Elvis, maybe if they stop thinking, they can catch an EVP from us, man. They give me no respect at all. No respect at all. I guess Rodney's babysitting. Yeah. <laughs> His great-grandchildren. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, thank you, Rodney. We always look forward to hearing... I wonder if he investigates himself. Yes, I don't know. Well, he hangs around <laughs> with Elvis, so who knows? What, 1950 Elvis or 1977 Elvis? I think rest in peace, Elvis. Oh, okay. All right, our next voicemail. Here we go. Hi, Hello. Hello, um, uh, my name is uh, Samuel, um, Samuel uh, Sunderson of uh, the uh, California Anomalous Paranormal Society, or CAPS, if you will. Um, I also, uh, I, 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 uh, I wanted to call in a tip I had. Um, I was doing, or well, actually more a question, I should say. Uh, I, was, I was doing an investigation recently on an old um, riverboat casino in um, Mississippi um, with my group. Caps and um, I was wearing uh, vinyl snow pants, which sounds unusual, but uh, I found that um, spirits may like to use ambient sounds for uh, various. Um, how would you put it? Uh, to use those uh, use those uh, sounds to um, uh, work off of to. Uh, make uh, their own sound. So uh, you use that to manipulate the sound and, and, and project their voices from beyond the grave. Uh, anyway, I was wearing my vinyl snow pants and there was a uh, swishing noise, as you might imagine. Um, my whole team, actually, five of us, we all wear vinyl snow suits when we uh, investigate. So there's a lot of swishing in our case. Um, 
But uh, anyway, this particular time, I was upstairs in the riverboat casino. Uh, no one else around. Uh, no one was smoking. It wasn't cold out, and it wasn't moist. There was no fog. Um, and anyway, there was an EVP that I caught uh, in the swishing of my pants. Now, my uh, my curiosity is that um, uh, basically the EVP said, so something like that. Um, and I thought maybe it was a little bit casino dealer. But my curiosity is, do you think that this spirit could be trapped in my pants? Uh, it makes me a little nervous that he used the swishing of my legs. Now, this is my inner thighs, folks, uh, to um, make his voice known, this blackjack. So, uh, you know, I'm assuming being you know that it's something to do with card games, but it also could be a blackjack like these um, thugs use to knock out their victims. And hopefully not. So I don't know if this is a dangerous spirit, and I really don't know if he's still in my pen. So if you guys could uh, email me at uh, capsleader at caps.com, I'd very much appreciate it. Thank you. Okay, that's just so many questions for that particular caller. He, does he want us to investigate his pants? The spirits are haunting his pants. I love the fact that uh, his whole team wears snowsuits on investigations. That's, I wonder, that must be very uncomfortable in the summer. Yes, considering they're in California. <laughs> it gets a little chilly there sometimes, but I don't think it warrants a snowsuit unless you're up in the mountains. Yeah, but uh, I, I think I think they're on to something, though, because uh, if you think about it, everyone knows ghosts are white. And snow is white. So naturally, a ghost would be attracted to snow pants, right? No. no I, 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 I don't know. So I guess, that means, I guess that means my swishy snow jacket. I can start wearing that again? Uh, No. <laughs> All right. We did tell people to prank us. So I, I'm not sure if that's for real. Uh, yeah, that's real. <laughs> uh, He's certifiable if it is real. Well, we thank you. Uh, Daniel, I think his name was? I think so. Okay. Um, <laughs> good luck with your pants. Snowsuits. All right. We are going to play part three of our ghost stories that students shared with us. We went to a college a few weeks ago. And we did a presentation, and we did a ghost hunt with the students. The college used to be an old tuberculosis hospital. And students came up and shared their ghost stories with us. So this is part three. And we're going to start off with Christina. Okay, well, there's this um, house up from the block for me. It's been abandoned for about 10 years, and now it's people are living in there. Uh, girls that I babysit sometimes. And back in the day, my father used to watch the old man who used to live in there. He was bald, big glasses, he had cancer, so my dad took care of him. Um, I was babysitting the kids one night, it was like midnight, and I heard creeping down the steps and everything, and all the girls were in bed. I made sure because I was on the same floor as them. Um, no pets in the house. And I gleaned, like, I took a look on the side near the steps quickly just to see if anything was wrong and I saw a really old guy like bald and everything big glasses and I, and I asked my dad later on um, in the night when he came home I'm like dad um, who was the guy that you took care of in that house and he described him and I'm like oh I saw him 
walking well, down the stairs. Awesome. Got to love it. Wow. Thank you. Hmm. She doesn't sound very frightened. I guess it was just more surprise than shock. Yeah. Oh, well, I think a lot of the students. I think a lot of students were nervous coming up, and yeah, so I give them a lot of credit. All right, this next one, I didn't catch the name of this person, but we're gonna play this one now. Hello. Hello. What's your name? Simon. Hello. Hi. Okay, so a couple years back in high school, um, it was like after the spring break or whatever, and I, I get my plate. I go over to the table, and I'm sitting there, and right across from me is one of my friends, this girl that I knew. And I look down at my food, I take a glance up, and I look back down. But when I looked up, I saw somebody, like an old man, kind of standing over her, and he had his hand on her shoulder. And I didn't really know what it was, and then I kind of figured like I just saw something, but as soon as I looked up, he was gone. And then later that day, she was telling us about how her grandfather had passed away. So I talked to her. I was like, does your grandfather have brown hair? She's like, yeah. Is he a little chubby? Yeah. Did he wear suspenders? Yeah. Wow. And I'm sitting there like, what the hell did I just see? <laughs> That's all. That's awesome. Oh, thank you. Thank you. That's interesting. I like that story. It's just I'm thinking after you die, you still have to wear suspenders. Yes, I want to wear suspenders when pants, I die. Your pants can still fall down after death. Larry King will be wearing suspenders in the afterlife then. Isn't he now? Uh, yeah. Some <laughs> some question whether he's still alive. He's the living dead. All right, next ghost story. All right, so my house is quite the interesting house, as my friends would know. Um, there used to be a family that, uh, biker family that lived in my house. I can't remember their name. It started with a W. Um, I asked my brother to text me a bike. Like motorcycles or bicycles? Like motorcycles. <laughs> <laughs> Just checking. All right. Um, and when my parents had moved into the house, um, it was uh, foreclosed, and in the dining room slash living room section on the ceiling was painted a whole space scene with... Um, alien spacecrafts and uh, stars and planets. And in the basement, there was a pentagon on the floor mm-hmm. um, and 666 painted all over the walls. So before my family actually wanted to move in, my mom had my uh, uncle bless the house because he was a, a priest. Mm-hmm. So um, while they were digging up the pipeline for the water, um, the water main or whatever, uh-huh. they had found bones and they brought them to... Um, uh, who are the people who check bones? Anthropologists? Uh, okay, those people. And, uh, bone people. They, were, they were human bones. <laughs> really? Yeah, they were certified human bones. And um, so I thought that was quite interesting. Was and that in the basement or outside? No, outside. Outside? Um, also, uh, while my dad was renovating the house, he took all the junk that was extra and he put it in a hole that was in the basement and he was too afraid to go down there. So he sealed it up afterward so no one to this day knows what's in that basement i want to find out but he won't let me uh, you know <laughs> knock a hole in his basement don't know why wait till he goes on vacation um so uh quite some time after they told me that uh, i had my friends over and he had his keys and his cell phone up on my um dresser the next day we woke up, they were completely gone. Since then, I've changed my room around and cleaned it several times. 
never still have never found those keys or his cell phone. Right. Also, I had a rocking chair when uh, I was younger, and it used to rock in the middle of the night. But one night I went to bed, woke up, my chair was busted, completely fell apart into three parts. Interesting. Yeah. Mm. Creepy. Thank you. Thank you. Ghosts of bikers do not like rocking chairs, apparently. Oh, apparently not. They're tough guys. Wow. Well, we thank everyone who shared their stories. That's and very interesting. It takes it takes a lot of nerve to get up there and tell people your story. Yes. All right. We're going to move on. We're going to go to our guests soon. But before we do that, it is the holiday season, and I just felt that we should share a beautiful song. You're not going to sing again, are you? Uh, Eric is going to be really sorry she missed this. It's it's a beautiful song. It's not me. I just figured we should play it for the holiday. It will get everyone in the holiday spirit. It's not Santa got run over by a reindeer. No, 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 no. Grandma got run over by a reindeer, is it? No. We hope Santa didn't get run over us. We're not getting any <laughs> gifts this year. He was drinking. All right. Let's go to this song, and we'll come back, and then we'll go to Natalie Osborne Thomason. You're listening to Island Ghost Radio. Oh, holy night. Stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's Long lay the world in sin and error pine till he appeared and the soul felt its worth a thrill of hope. The weary world rejoices For yonder breaks A new and glorious morn Fall on your knees Oh, Oh, I 
you know it was a divine Brings a tear to my eye. I feel nauseous. Oh, it's so beautiful. You have low standards for music, don't you? <laughs> God, that was awful. I think I've heard that before. I just can't remember where. Merry Christmas, everyone. Did I hear that in the shower? Uh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe <laughs> when a uh, an animal was being killed, you heard that? Yeah, that's what it sounds like, a raccoon or something. All right. We're going to go now to a real break, and we will be back with Natalie Osborne Thomason. You're listening to Island Ghost Radio. Our guest tonight is Natalie Osborne Thomason. She's author of The Ghost Hunting Files, Ordinary People's Encounters with the Supernatural. She's also an experienced member and investigator of The Ghost Club, which is based in London. And she is also a natural psychic who uses her talents as one of her arsenal of tools in paranormal investigating. Welcome tonight, Natalie. Hello. Hello. Hi, Natalie. (laughs) Hello. (laughs) So, Natalie, tell us what got you into the paranormal. It was... As a child, I, I saw my first ghost when I was seven, and it kind of um, got me obviously interested in things like that. And my dad was a bit of an avid ghost hunter. He used to take me to haunted places locally in Northamptonshire, where I grew up in the villages and that. And he used to tell me stories of when he'd seen ghosts, because um, he worked in many different locations, um, and he basically had seen several apparitions over the years and he used to tell me these stories but they changed a bit with each telling and they got sort of sometimes they were more embellished and um so that's really what got me into it and also watching when i was a teenager watching things like hammer house of horror which was really popular at the time in the 70s that was a really big thing then um and it just sort of got me into it really and i've always believed that there was more out there than what we you know we're we're expecting to see that there's a darker side that there's a more interesting side so that's what got me into it and then when i got married and moved into a three different really old cottages over a succession of 15 years and in the first cottage there was a there was something quite um malevolent really it wasn't very nice and I didn't know what to do about it. And I wouldn't put my daughter in the top bedroom because it was on three floors. So she had to be in with us, even though there was a nice double bedroom on the top floor. And I didn't want to sleep in her either because I knew that it would make me depressed if I slept up. I didn't know why. I didn't really know much about it then. I was only 17. So, I, you know, it was sort of, um, it's all new to me, but I just knew there was something evil up there. And um, I decorated the room and everything, but when it came to it, I could never use that room. So that was the start of me knowing that there was good and evil um, spirits and good and evil ghosts. Then I moved into the cottage actually next door, and that was a lot nicer. There wasn't really too much happen there, but the third cottage I lived in, that was very, very active, lots of strange stuff. Um, in fact, in the end, that was where I started writing um, 
my first book because I just wanted to document my experiences, but also to interview other people. I joined the Ghost Club, and they got they sort of teach how to do investigations and um, the historical side of ghost hunting, if you like, because it's been going back for a long time. And when you think of modern ghost hunting with modern programming, that it's been going back since Victorian times, really, and beyond. So that that's really how I got into it. Now, Natalie, do you believe that there is a spirit or spirits possibly following you around house to house? Probably, yeah. Because every house I've lived in since I've been into this, there's been activity. In fact, the house that I live in at the moment is 1970s. It's, it's, it's modern-ish. I mean, it's not old. But there's a regular occurrence that happens in my living room, and it's a blue light that... You turn all the lights out and there's a blue light appears to order and you ask it questions and it flashes on and off. And I had a, a film crew here Friday night, actually, and they were here till three in the morning asking it questions. It was flashing on and off. Um, so I think there's a lot of activity around me, but I think some of it is my spirit guide and some of it is... Because another part of the work I do is when people have become possessed or they've got a very negative ghost, I move them on. And I had three people here last week that were all had, had said that they were possessed. I mean, you've got to take it with a pinch of salt because obviously some people may be mentally ill, they may be mistaken. Um, you've got to sort of take each case on its own merits, haven't you? Yeah. But with each one, there did seem to be something, and I moved them on. And that night, there was a lot of activity in the house. It was like residual negativity that, that it's dissipated, now it's gone. But lights were flashing on and off, and... And the film crew were here late, and they were seeing the blue light coming on and off, and they couldn't believe it because they didn't understand what it was. But it's almost like I seem to be a catalyst for things. If I go to a haunted location, and I go to a lot in an average month, say, um, things may happen there when I'm there. It's like um, I kind of fire it up, and, you know, and it's always been like that for the, as long as I can remember now, for the last 15 years or so. Um, when my kids were little... Um, they used to joke that sometimes we'd go into a shop and shoes would fall off the shelves if we walked past and <laughs> I suppose it's a bit like a, a poltergeist-type phenomenon, but it's it's a positive thing um, for me. I just see it as confirmation that the world is a bit stranger than, you know, most people imagine. Right. Other people say it was spooky and strange, but I had a Halloween party. This is the ironic thing. I had a Halloween book launch party at my house, and I invited a lot of people, and unfortunately, a lot couldn't come because there was other parties. But we had about 15 people here, and I was expecting the blue light to come and all this. Very, but because I had a bit too much to drink, it, nothing happened. <laughs> almost like they said, we're not coming out to play, you've let us down. So the Halloween party with the grand finale, the spooky blue lights, and, and not a thing, not a peep from it. And everyone was sitting in that discussion, all the lights out. It was like an old-fashioned Victorian seance, people sitting in a circle, and nothing happened. So you can't, you can't, you can never be sure whether it's going to happen or not. That's true, they don't perform on command. Unfortunately, no. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be nice, wouldn't it? Yes, <laughs> absolutely. We'd love that to happen. Um, now, you consider yourself psychic, am I correct? Yeah. Uh, would you consider yourself a medium too, or just uh, yeah. psychic? De definitely, because I can communicate with with departed spirits, um, and I can communicate with um, non-human spirit forms. Say, for example, demons, elementals, things like that. So it's not just. Um, I was talking to um, somebody the other day that um, was a medium, and they said they just deal with human spirits. 
Um, but there are other dimensions, you know, there's other dimensions of um, ghosts that, you know, can be, that they've never walked on this earth plane. So I can communicate with them as well. So, for example, when people come to me that, um, a lorry driver came last week and he was dement, literally he was beside him. So I didn't, I thought he's either mad or he seriously is possessed. <laughs> um, he can be not, he's either one or the other. And he, he, he was almost frightened to come in my house and I sort of, I thought, I hope he actually doesn't attack me because people can get quite violent when you're moving things on because what is inside and doesn't want to go. And he wouldn't look me in the face, he just wouldn't look at me. And I put my hands on his head and commanded it to go. And then I sat down and looked at him, and he would actually look me in the face. And this is incredible. The next day, he was actually well enough to go back to work, and he hadn't been to work for, for days and days. He hadn't slept for days and days and days. Um, but while he, while he was here, this, I'd got some builders doing some work. I told him to come at 7, he came at 5, and I've got people here doing work. And while he was here, all the lights kept flashing on off, and the builders threatened to leave the building <laughs> because they were frightened that whatever it was was, you know... They, they just, I mean, most ordinary everyday people don't believe in things like that. I mean, unless you've come across it, you're not, you're not going to believe in it. And when I started out 15 years or so ago, I didn't, if people used to say to me then, oh, can you get rid of it for us? We've got to go, we're not happy, we want to move out otherwise. And I used to say, oh, I can't, I don't know what to do. But over the years, I've kind of taught myself how to um, communicate with things and persuade them. It's a persuasion thing to move on because they will not move on if they don't want to. Right. right. It's like a persuasion thing. It's like sometimes it's like talking to a child that that wants sweets and you've got to say, yeah, you can have the sweets if you do this, this, and this. Um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's it's like that. But it's um it's it's very strange. Most people will say, oh no, there's no such thing. But there is, and people have got nowhere to go other than the church, really. And sometimes the church won't touch it with a barge pole because they have to have a special exorcist or a bishop or whatever to approve it. Um, and I've had people come to me that have been to the church and been sent away. Basically, go, go, you know, you're you need to go to a mental hospital, but they're not ill. They're just they're sick with this thing that's attached itself to them. In other cultures, it's accepted as you know it does happen, but in our culture. It's not accepted as still happening, but we still like films about it, don't we? Like, for example, Paranormal Activity, the newest film that's on at the moment about, which actually I went to the film and laughed all the way through. I thought it was a comedy. <laughs> I went with my mother, well, and everyone was yeah. looking at me because I was howling with laughter. But I was waiting I, to be scared. I mean, we were watching. It was like, when are we going to be frightened? It was just silly. And at the end, it almost it, it just wasn't. And as well, what annoyed me was the man wasn't sleeping near the doorway. All men, it's a, it's a, it's a thing since we were cave dwellers, sleep near the cave opening, which is the doorway. <laughs> That's true. They do to protect their to protect their wife. And she was sleeping near the cave. I thought they've got that wrong straight away. <laughs> and would you, if your house was haunted, someone was coming through the door, sleep near the door? No woman would, would they? <laughs> but they got that wrong. I always like watching films and criticising them. I, I go to the cinema and go, no, she wouldn't be sleeping there. And mum kept going, shh. And then I kept <laughs> laughing and there was a guy sat next to me. She goes, why are you laughing? I said, because it's crap. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> well, that begs the question, what is one of your favorite scary films? The Shining. Oh, I agree completely. Yeah, that's a great movie. Because even though I wouldn't particularly relish... I'd stay anywhere on my own at night with whatever you could throw at me. But 
even I would not feel that I could fight everything off in that hotel because there's stuff coming at you from every angle. I mean, there's stuff in the ballroom. There's, you know, that there's, there's presence of sheer evil in that hotel, the Overlook, wasn't it? Yes. Mm-hmm. And it, it's it's such a good film. The Exorcist was okay, but they went a bit far. How they made their heads spin round and everything. And, <laughs> um, you know, that made it a bit comedy sort of. Value, yeah, today, but if that really happened, I think she would have died because she just would have, <laughs> would have snapped Yeah, they didn't neck. need to go that far. They almost got it perfect. They almost, just, the music is always great. They've got real sounds from exorcism in the background. They've got everything. They've got a lot of subliminals in there to frighten the hell out of people. But it just didn't look over the top. But at the time, the first time I saw it, I thought it was really good. You see it now and it's quaint almost. Do you know what I mean? It's a bit silly and... Mm-hmm. Oh, it yeah. was good at the time. It was good at the time. It's like films now, like The Hills Have Eyes and that, are really creepy and good. But if we look back on those in 20 years' time, we think, that's silly, you know? So that you get more sophisticated, audiences get more sophisticated and braver. Mm-hmm. I yes. mean, things now like Saw and Hostel and that are just horrible. Oh, I know. Like, yeah, they're where just Where are guts. things going, you know? Where is the cinema going? But I've always liked horror films anyway, right from the age of about 12 when I got a TV in my room and I used to watch all Dracula and Frankenstein and things like that. So, um, <laughs> yes, I I love horror films, but I hate gory slasher films. I, I'm not into that. I, give me a good uh, paranormal story. Yeah. Well, because your imagination is scarier than what you're seeing on screen, because only you know what you know what really scares you. So if you use your imagination, that just that's what frightens you. And as Hitchcock is a brilliant, his films are absolutely fantastic because, like the birds and, and Psycho, because oh, yes. you didn't see a lot, and it was all to do with the atmospherics and the tension building up and things. And I thought it's like when you're writing a story, you're trying to kind of put everything in that you need to. You're trying, but you're trying. Because with my books, what I've tried to do, because The Ghost and Advice is my fourth book, but what I try to do is put a mixture of stories in, some scary, some funny, mm-hmm. some really sweet when someone's had communication with a loved one from the other side. So there's a bit of everything there because that's what life's like. There's good and bad and, you know, there's a bit of everything, isn't there? It's not all horror. It's not all the dark sort of darkness. It's, it's light and shade, isn't it? So there's a bit of... And when I wrote my third book, the publishers contacted me and said, you need to lighten your death, but you need to put a few nice stories in there. <laughs> I said, it's a bit dark. So I had to kind of write another couple of chapters that were a bit more... But at the time in my life, I was quite depressed and fed up and at a, at a low ebb. So it was coming across in my book, I think. It was coming across as the stories I was choosing were the worst ones. <laughs> no, I really enjoyed your book. I love the stories and, you know, like you said, the variety of types of stories and locations and just it's very interesting i really enjoyed it um and i think anybody should uh should go out and get it because it is really a really good book um i wanted to ask you without revealing too much about the book because obviously we want people to check it out um one of the stories you were investigating a shopping mall built on the ruins of a monastery now i find that interesting because here in the united states we wouldn't normally build a shopping mall on a monastery or at least a really old one. So at was, least not that we know of. Exactly. But I just find that very interesting because um, taking something that historic and just putting a mall on top of it just shows you the extent of places in England and Scotland and Ireland where, you know, it's just kind of like commonplace to have places like that. What are you going to do? You can't make everything an historic landmark. You know, I just found that very interesting. Um, but I wanted to bring up the... Um, the fact that you, I guess, were taking part in an episode of a show with Derek Acora. 
And I found Unfortunately, that... yes, I was. <laughs> because... I'm saying unfortunately because I'm not his greatest fan, but... Yeah, um, that's... Yeah, it was basically they built the shopping mall on top of the monastery and I went up into the office and they showed me the plans, of, which I think is an abomination really because, you know, it should be left as a historic site so people can visit it and look at it and whatever. Mm-hmm. And what they've done to preserve it is they've poured concrete over it and to a layer of about four inches and then they've built it on top of that but they've not disturbed any of the monastery. They've built this horrible shopping center and it's not very beautiful at all. It's 70s um, architecture is pretty horrible really, isn't it, <laughs> of, of any sort. And But it's very, very haunted. But the most haunted part is the car park. And for every year it's been up, the manager told me, he said, don't put this in your book, which made me put it in my book straight away. There's a nice from there every year. And it's almost like the building wants to take a life. And my ex-husband, I can remember him, he once went out for a drink, or this was about a couple of years before we split up, and he came back and he said, I'm really shocked. He said, last week I was out for a drink with a guy I know, he's an estate agent, and he said he was drink, drink, laughing and joking. He said an hour later he went to this multi-story car park of that shopping mall and jumped off. Hmm. Oh, my God. And he's perfectly normal. That's the weird thing. A lot of the people that have jumped off there have been perfectly normal or seem perfectly normal. Well, you said they, uh, they built uh, a rail or a fence so people couldn't get up to jump off? Yeah, yeah, they've done that, but I think I still think people do. You'd have to be pretty determined, but why there? Why not another tall building? Mm-hmm. I think that the car park is haunted by something fairly malevolent, and it's kind of persuading. But it's like BG Head. I remember my dad went to BG Head years, years ago. I mean, he's passed away now, bless him, but... He said he went to the edge and he had a compulsion to jump and he was in a perfectly good mood. And my dad was so level-headed and normal and sane and okay. And he said he could understand if he was a bit down. If he went, but he reckons all the deaths have left a residue of, like, sorrow. So if you're a bit down and you went there, because that's a place to go in England, if you want to jump off a cliff, huh. you go to Beachy Head. I mean, it's a bit depressing, right? I don't know why this conversation's gone like that. <laughs> and he said he, if, for two pins, he would have jumped. Oh, wow. Oh, God. So I think certain places do have a negative effect on people, and it's like a it builds up and builds up. And uh, the Grosvenor Centre car park, there's obviously there's been one a year roughly. I mean it's been up there for about 28 years, and it's been about 28. And so if you work it out, sometimes two, there'd be two a year, in one year, then then the next. It's almost like something is doing it. Something wants. And when we did the program with Derek Okora, I said, we should go to the car park because that's the most only part. But he didn't want to know. It was almost like he was scared or... Um, but I couldn't get a word in edgeways with him. He had to be the centre of the tent. He had to be the big... And I thought, I can't be dealing with this. So we did our bit of film and I went home and I thought, I'm not too keen to work with him in, in too much of a hurry again. Wait. But I don't tend to get on with other psychics anyway. Did he get possessed by chance during that particular investigation? Because... Anytime we've watched Most Haunted, which oh. is ridiculous, he always gets possessed. Well, I wish he'd get possessed by something to make him go to Timbuktu or out <laughs> and go and hide in a hut somewhere. That would be quite cool. Now we know um, why. But it's not very convincing. I always think if you're going to act, you, make, you need to make it quite convincing. Because no. otherwise, you know, if you're acting these, these um, different characters that you're possessed by... I'm not convinced at all by him. I just think he's he's very clever. He's made a lot of money. Good luck to him. But show me the real deal because I'm not buying it, to be honest. But I'm very cynical about other psychic mediums 
television programs generally. Now we know. Uh, <laughs> now we know why you wanted to take him to the top of the car park. You, you <laughs> wanted well, to jump. Said that the there you go. Year, because we got ever so sad, all of a sudden he left to see. <laughs> <laughs> Oh dear. Well, but we had been cameras as evidence, so I couldn't have done that. Well, it's funny because this brings up uh, a subject that's kind of near and dear to us. Here in the States, there's like a big controversy going on about paranormal shows faking evidence. And one of my big things is the show Most Haunted. I mean, I know it's produced in... I Britain. hate it. I hate it. I won't watch it. It's like swearing in my house. If people say, oh, and when I give lectures on ghosts, if people say, oh, do you watch Most Haunted? I said, no. It's the biggest load of crap that's on television and I would not waste my time I saw one show once and it first came out and I thought what a load of baloney and I haven't watched it since and if it's on like if I see a bit of it and people go oh it's so it's so good I said no it's putting ghost heading into disrepute it's made the debt feeding them a lot of money maybe they don't take the stuff but what annoys me is when they scream and go oh something's got me that annoys me if I'm doing an investigation people start screaming and I send them home I can't be doing with it. If people are getting frightened and stuff, I say, go home. You know, you're no use to us. How are you going to, you know, listen for anything or do anything? If people get freaked out, that's no good. Yeah. You want people that are clear and level-headed. You see, the only thing that scares me, and I've said this to people lots of times and they laugh, is if a bat flew out and got caught in my hair, because I've got quite sort of sticky out, messy hair, and it, if it, or if a mouse ran up my scarf, I think that would be, I'd just be screaming and running around. <laughs> but, you know, demon, ghost, monster, whatever, that's all right. I'll you get my camera out, but anything else, and I'll be. You see, the mice and the bats and the rats and things, I don't like in these old properties, but it's always a, you see them circling sometimes, the bats, and I think they're beautiful, they look lovely, but I've always had a thing that one, one day when I get caught in my hair, and yeah. that's it. I won't get it out. It's ridiculous, isn't it? I must have seen a horror film or something. Um, you know, a Dracula film, I think, when the bat got caught in the woman's hair. Or... But that's the only thing that scares me, because my, my children sometimes say to me, well, be careful. And the only thing to be careful of is tripping over in the dark. Some of these places aren't very well lit. The floors are uneven, the stone floors. So you are in danger like that, but you're not in much danger from the ghosts, um, right. to be honest. Yeah, the one thing uh, I envy about England is you you have history. I mean, you you have places that date back five, six hundred years, if not older. You know, here in America, most of the buildings only date back 200 years from the European yeah. settlers. So uh, that must be really great walking into, say, a castle that was built in the uh, 13th century or something. Yeah, I mean, we've got castles that go back sort of almost a thousand years there was you know they started to be built in say 1059 or something and then they've added bits on and um, you know we're we're just surrounded by um old buildings and history really and it goes back and i think that's why there's more ghosts per square mile in england supposedly than any other country in the world so if you're a ghost hunter it's quite handy to i suppose if you're a if you were a a big cat hunter you'd want to live in a place where there was lots of big cats and When you're a ghost hunter, I'm living in the perfect place, really, to, you know, find them on a regular basis. And I've lived in really old buildings, definitely an atmospheric sort of thing. I mean, I've lived in 300-year-old cottages, and you can feel the history there. Right. When you open the door, it's like it's a record of... You can sort of sense it. It kind of gets into the fabric of the building, and you can... It's like when you go into a really old castle, you can almost hear the, the noises from the past. It's like... 
It's amazing if you touch the walls. I don't know if you've ever tried this for a really old building. Touch the walls, and it's like you can feel the history. Mm-hmm. Right, sort of like psychometry. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's funny because, uh, you know, the paranormal seems kind of natural and ordinary in England. It's almost like everyone has their resident ghost. So is is the paranormal or is are ghosts more acceptable in England? You know, is it more of like a common thing where people aren't, ah, you're crazy, you have a ghost. It's more like, oh, yeah, I have one, too. Well, no, I think it's really divided because there's a lot of disbelievers and there's a lot of people that think, oh, nothing like that could possibly happen. I would say the country's split down the middle of those that you've got your, your believers and then you've got your real sceptics. Like my stepfather is a real sceptic. I think if a ghost came out and hit him on the head, he'd, he still wouldn't believe in it. <laughs> I think he'd need to go to bed, he was hallucinated. Um, so you, it's really divided. And, and British people are very sort of reserved about admitting to seeing things as well. They're a bit embarrassed in case people might think they're going mad or think they're going... But I think Americans are a lot more open about things like that. Whereas we've got more ghosts here, and there's a lot of haunted pubs, for example. There's not a pub I've ever been in that doesn't claim to have a ghost mm-hmm. huh. of some sort. But, yeah, I don't think generally we're as open to the spiritual realm as, as you are over there. I think you're much more into it and open about it and ready to discuss it. And UFO, UFO sightings and things and alien abductions and that. People just don't admit it here. Even if they've been taken on board a spaceship every <laughs> night of the week, they probably wouldn't admit it. <laughs> That's true. They would. They'd say, I might lose my job or they might lock me up into the, in the nut house because I think I'm, you know, they wouldn't talk about it. Yeah, I, I know some people who claim later in life that they saw something, but for years they didn't want to admit it. Um, yeah. I think we're kind of divided in this country as well. Um, last poll I heard, I think it was like 42 or 48% people believe in ghosts in america but i i can't say for sure well i mean i've been to england scotland and ireland but i think my favorite favorite location is edinburgh scotland and i think you've been there as well right yeah it's because of um it's history and there's the catacombs isn't there under the street level yes that are very haunted and there's a castle it, it is a very it's a beautiful place as well because it's this is a vol- volcanic um, the rock that the castle's built on, isn't there? So that you've mm-hmm. got you've got that dramatic landscape and you've got the dramatic buildings, but there's also quite a terrible history there. There's quite a, you know, there's so many different haunted locations if you go to Edinburgh, and there are a lot of ghost tours there, and it's a big thing at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, but Scotland, when I was when I was little, we used to go to Scotland every year and go touring. We'd go and stay in a different location every night, a different farmhouse, a different castle. And oftentimes my dad would try and frighten me to death. He'd say, right, you're sleeping in the haunted bedchamber tonight. <laughs> don't don't get up in the night because there's a headless axeman. He'll chop your head off and things like that. Joking. And I'd think, oh, it was funny before you went to bed. And I can remember one night sleeping with my sister in a big four-poster bed. And the only toilet was right down the corridor. And there was a suit of armour with an axe next to the toilet. <laughs> oh, no. And I really wanted to go. And I said to my sister, will you come with me? She goes, I don't want to go. And I thought, I'm going to go. And I opened the door and I looked out. And I'm sure I saw it move. But if you stare at something, it moves, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. It? Yeah, yeah. And I can remember drawing the curtains around this four-person, and they probably hadn't ever been drawn. <laughs> they were probably always sort of tied back. And I thought, I can't get it. And I managed to get back to sleep, but in the morning I ran to the toilet because it, it, it wasn't going to move in the daytime. And I said to Dad, why did you tell me about that headless accident? He said, 
Well, I thought it was a good story. <laughs> and at breakfast, he was sort of laughing at the fact that I hadn't... But I think he made me not afraid of anything because, you know, as a, as a child, he kind of desensitised me to being scared of things. He used to tell me such wonderful stories. And some of the locations we stayed... We stayed at one, and it was next to an undertaker's. And my aunt was sleeping in the rooms above the undertaker's and her family, and we were sleeping in the next... And he said... Oh, all those people laid in their boxes, they might all raise up and come. You know, you've got a bit of a six-sense <laughs> Natalie, you must have been pretty traumatised as a child between your dad and all these stories. But he knew I, my two sisters wouldn't. He didn't tell them the story because they were actually frightened and jealous. But I used to say to him, tell me at night, he said, do you want a nice story or a scary story? Mm-hmm. And a nice story could be about um, teddy bears, animals, fairies, whatever, or a horrible story would be, and he'd swear it was true. He'd say, I knew somebody, or once I went to a place. <laughs> and he'd weave all this sort of, about the location that you were staying at or whatever, or, you know, and it... And I never forgot that. I thought, he's really good at telling a story, but he makes it believable. Mm-hmm. But when a story is true, for example, when you know it's true, and it's stranger than any fiction, that makes it even more scary, I suppose, to people, doesn't it? Right. Yeah, right. absolutely. Well, have you ever been to the United States? Twice. Twice. Uh, have you ever investigated here, or are there, are there any places that you always wanted to check out? Well, there's loads of places I'd like to check out and, um, you know, investigate, because you know, that you've got so much happening over there. Um, and I've just been over actually on holidays with my children when they were little, and I went to New York with my sister just for a long weekend, but I'd love to come and do some investigating and also go Bigfoot hunting. Huh. Oh, there you go. That's a big thing here too. Yes. Yeah. Now, when you go on investigations, do you have a, a team, and how do, you, uh, how do you normally conduct investigations? You're obviously a psychic. Do you... Uh, do you bring in uh, technical equipment as well? Everybody, the, the team will d- comprise of one or two people, if it's a very small location like a house, or right. a, a big lot of people, it's a business premises or a pub or something like that. And everybody brings equipment like cameras, um, you know, um, EMF field meters, K2 meters, things like that, tape recording devices. We just bring whatever equipment we've got. Right. and. We, we also take notes and we spend time in different locations, but each investigation is different. And I also go on investigations with the Northamptonshire Paranormal Group, who, who are local to me. I've got two lined up for next month. And um, we basically we put as cameras in as many locations as possible and try and get email. We, we conduct investigations very similar to the Ghost Hunters team on, that you've got on American TV. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Very similar to them. We also make lots and lots of notes because obviously a lot of investigations are written up afterwards or I can use in my books or I can use when I give talks on ghosts. So you don't want to forget any information. Right. So basically you start off, you spend, you just spend there overnight when it's quiet, when it's dark, when all, all the lights can be switched off. But you may spend time in locations with all the lights on. It just depends really. But it's all about documenting any evidence, anything that's anomalous that may not be happening because of, for example, um, normal reasons. So if you get a strange sound, what is causing that sound? You rule out all the obvious things. Um, If it's a disembodied voice and it doesn't sound like anyone in the room, perhaps it is something else. 
but oftentimes you can jump out of your skin. Like I was doing an investigation a couple of weeks ago, and we were in a darkened cellar in an old bakery. All of a sudden, there was a loud noise, bang, like that. And it was a fridge had come and it was shuddering and juddering. But with the ancient fridge that got down in the cellar, and everyone jumped. Oh. It was really, you know, all sat there in a circle. And it was really, really strange. But, yeah, investigations, you just take what... You don't have to have a lot of equipment to start with. You just need... The basic thing is cameras, technical devices, pen and paper to write notes, um, temperature, um, probe. You know, the, your average your average sort of bits and pieces. You can also take things, for example, like talcum powder, like they did in that paranormal activity room, and sprinkle it and see if anything walks across. Um, you can put plastic bin liners down to see if anything makes a noise walking across. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can you can use chalk, for example. I always take a piece of chalk and put trigger objects like a two-pence piece or a, a, a key. And if it's in a hot spot, you can draw around it and, and ask whatever it is to move it, see if it will move it on its own. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but the main thing is cameras, 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 because you can't miss... If you miss an opportunity with a camera, it's missed forever. You may only get one opportunity in 100 years to catch something. And if you miss it, and the amount of times I have missed things, and I could kick myself uh. because I haven't took my camera out yet. I've just got there and I'm talking to someone. I went to Borley, this is many years ago, and I was talking to somebody in the church, and Borley Rectory and Borley Village is very haunted. Oh, yeah. And as I was talking to this lady, she, she said, I think I've just seen the ghost. So I spun around. She'd seen somebody walk up behind me and then disappear with an umbrella. And I hadn't even got my camera out of the bag. I hadn't even got them. I just arrived and I thought, uh. damn, you know, there's no CCTVs there. It's in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. So things like that, they always, it's almost like they're taunting you because they don't want you to. It seems like that at times. It's just sod law. You haven't got your camera on you. But that's the most important thing, a camera of any sort, whether it's video or still. Because if you catch something... Yeah. Uh, a couple of, about three weeks ago, I was giving a talk at um, a place called um, Chilton Hall, which is in Cambridgeshire, and there was about 40 people in the room, and it was all shut off, the air conditioning was on, but the room was a normal temperature. I was halfway through the talk, and everyone seemed to be looking to my left, and I was talking about a haunted doll that I've got, and people were pointing to my left, and I thought, what are they pointing at? And I, I, I said, excuse me, I'm sorry to stop the lecture, but what are you looking at? And they said, there's a mist that's formed next year. There's a misty shape that's appearing. And a couple of the people wanted to leave the room, but they couldn't because it was into joining rooms and there was a lecture going on in the next room and they couldn't get out. Huh. And they were saying, I said, somebody get your mobile phone out and take a picture of it. Well, four or five different people got their mobile phones out. They all took pictures of it. None of, none of the cameras worked. They clicked, but they didn't take a picture. Really? Wow. Wow. And I thought, I couldn't see the mist. I couldn't. I could feel a real cold energy. But um, one of our, our dogs had died in the family, and I think that was the dog that had come and visited me, because they said it was quite a short in height, but it was the mist was quite and it was moving, mm-hmm. and a couple of people were really freaked out by it. But I was quite pleased because I thought, well, it's almost like special effects department, and I had to, <laughs> I had to pay for it. Exactly. So that was that was pretty good that that, that happened, but. In a way, it didn't surprise me, but I'd have loved to have had a photograph of it because that would have been real evidence, wouldn't it, of, mm-hmm. of something. But it made a dramatic effect on the audience, and they listened to the rest of the lecture, you know, with bated breath, wondering what <laughs> next was going to happen, I suppose. <laughs> uh, 
Well, what would you say was one of your favorite personal experiences on an investigation or one of your favorite pieces of evidence uh, that was captured by your team? My favorite investigation was, well, it wasn't really an investigation. I, I went to interview somebody at Woodford Church, and it's a, a village just outside Northamptonshire. It's a very old church, and there's a very famous photograph taken in the church in the 1970s of a ghost at the altar, and it's been in lots of different books. It's been on American TV. It's been all over the place. And I went there to interview a chap, I think he was a church warden at the time, about the ghost in Woodford Church. And there's a human heart who, what, that's supposed to belong to the ghost that's interred in the pillar of the church. There's a glass partition, you can see a box, and then there's a heart. And we went there, and we'd opened the church up, it was locked. And it was a July afternoon, it, there was going to be a thunderstorm, it, it was a bit overcast, it was stormy weather coming in. And we sat in the church, and I thought, oh, damn, I haven't got my camera. Oh, I won't need it, I'm just taking notes. And we sat there, and all of a sudden we heard scuttling at the front of the church, and he said, did you hear that? And I said, yes. And I went to investigate, and there was a little gate thing, and you walked in, and I said, is there anybody there? That's a bit corny, but what do you say? Mm. And all of a sudden this thing pushed into me, and it was it was tall. It was about six, over six foot tall, and it was a man in a in a in a like a cloaked figure, but in black and white, and it smelt musty. And it pushed into me, almost knocked me over. And I spun round. I was looking at it, but wanted to look at John, who was sitting in the pews at the front of the church. He was open mouthed, so I knew he'd seen it as well. And I spun round again to look at the thing, and it had gone. But the smell was still there. Huh. And I thought. Oh, my God. And I went and sat down next to him. I said, what did you see? What do you see? And he said, I saw a thing. I saw a thing. I said, what thing? And he described it. And it was more or less what I'd seen, a man in a cloak, tall. And we sat there talking. I said, oh, I'm so excited. I'm so excited. I said, my camera's in the car. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Anyway, I glanced to my left, and he was sat. The ghost had sat next to John a few per, um, persons distance away to his left, and it was praying. He got his head down. It was... Uh, but it was seemed more solid. You could it seemed more three dimensional, and you couldn't see through it as much. It was more, and I thought, oh my goodness! And I looked at John. I said, John, look there it is. It sat next to you. Well, he jumped up. He leapt over me like an Olympic athlete. I mean, he must be nearly sixty, and ran out of the church and locked me in. Wow! And, I, and he locked me in because he thought if he locked me in, he'd, I'd stay in there with it. But he frightened <laughs> it off. <laughs> and. At the back of the church, there's this famous photograph of the ghost that was in a local paper, but I said, John, John, come back in, see if we can, it might come back, we may be able to communicate with him. I said, he needs help, because you need help, I wish I'd never met you. He said, you've summoned it up. I said, I wish I'd got the power to summon up things. I said, anyway, I eventually persuaded him to open the door, but he would not be persuaded back in, so I had to take him home. He couldn't drive, he had to have six weeks off, but he had a nervous breakdown because of it. Really? But, yeah, he, he, yeah. And we were on the a radio show many weeks later, and he said he never, ever wants to go in the church unless there's other people in there, lots of other people. And he said he'll never get over it, the fear of what he saw. But what he saw was just a human spirit. It was just a ghost. And I think, but since then, interestingly, apparently it's been seen on regular occasions, and a lot of American tourists come 
that have read my second book because it features in there the story, and they go specifically to look for the ghost, huh. which I think is quite nice. You know, it's put it on the tourist map. Exactly. Well, that's good that uh, your book drums up uh, people who want to investigate further. That's nice. Exactly. They use that as a guide of places to uh, check out when they're in England. Yeah. Yeah, I've had people contact me that have said that they've gone with a copy of my book because it, it usually lists locations and where you can find things. And they've gone to all the locations and made like a sort of holiday trip of it. They've gone to all of the locations that they can in the book, which I think is really nice. It's like interactive then, isn't it? You're telling people about it and they're getting sort of out of their armchairs and out of watching TV and actually doing something about it, mm-hmm. which right. is nice. Yes. Well, Natalie, we're out of time here, but I want to encourage everyone to pick up your book, your latest book, The Ghost Hunting Files, Ordinary People's Encounters with the Supernatural, and it's published by Healings of Atlantis. Do you have a website you want to plug? Um, well, it's on, on the healingsofatlantis.com website. I'm, I'm building a website at the moment, but it'll also be on Amazon. Um, Amazon, the American one and the British one. So it'll be available on Amazon, but also from Healings of Atlantis' website. Well, I definitely advise people to check this book out. I'm actually going to look into getting some of your other books, too, because I like this one so much. Yeah, I think you'll like the other one. The, the best thing is probably my second book, because it's got... 99 sort of cases in there. I don't know why it didn't have 100, but <laughs> <laughs> just the way it worked out. But they're, they're, they're good because you can read them in any order. It doesn't matter. Although they do follow one in some ways, and I go, go on about cases, you know, follow-up things, it doesn't matter which order you read them in. All right. Well, if you want her book, you can pick it up at Amazon or go to healingsofatlantis.com. Natalie Osborne Thomason, thank you for joining us. Yes, thank, thank you. you. It's been interesting. <laughs> we enjoyed talking to you. It's great. Yes. All right. All Bye right. then. All right. Bye-bye, Natalie. Have a good night. <laughs>